You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. John chapter 8, we're going to pick up where we left off last time. We're going to look at verse 30, and we're going to read to the end of the chapter. It's going to be our goal this morning to make it to the end of the chapter. So we'll start reading with verse 30. As Jesus was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you truly are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. If the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And I know that you're offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I've not come of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he has nothing to do with the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he's a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? I tell you the truth. Why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, We're not, are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me, yet I do not seek my own glory. There's one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham did died, as did the prophets, yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he'll never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? Prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I'd be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Heavenly Father, we pray, O Father, for your grace and your mercy to be shed upon us afresh this morning as we do the work of reading your word and studying your word, seeking to understand your word. We recognize, Father, that you must be our teacher and guide should we have success in this. 
We look to you, O oh Father, that you would speak to us through your word, that you'll give our hearts understanding, that you'll give our wills, you would bridle them, that we would align our, our wills with your word, that we would align our lives with your word. In short, that we'd come to love your word because it's your word. So, O oh Father, do this work in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Last week, we started working our way through this chapter, uh, at least through this section of the chapter. I shouldn't say that. It was really two weeks ago when we spent a whole morning just on verse 12. And some of you will recall that, where Jesus makes this statement, I am the light of the world. Um, and we spent a whole morning developing that from the immediate context and then from the context of rest of Scripture. And then we looked at that from the historical context of the Feast of Booths and namely the light of the rite of lights, if you will. And we come to quickly conclude that when Jesus makes this comment, I am the light of the world, he is claiming to be God in that comment. And this forms what we often call an inclusio. You've heard me speak of an inclusio. You've heard me say in the past that you can think of an inclusio as a set of bookends on a bookshelf or a set of brackets, if you will, uh, where we'll have a, um, a literary unit, if you will, where there is a, a major theme that is communicated within that literary unit. And we have one of those right here uh, where uh, Jesus is making the claim to be none other than God himself when he says, I am the light of the world. And we'll come to the other bracket here, Lord willing, in a few minutes. But until then, it's important that we see that verses 13 through the rest of the chapter is the response of his opponents uh, in lieu of this statement that Jesus has just made. Uh, they're fiercely opposing him, and at and, and many points uh, are abusing him verbally. Uh, with their words, uh, certainly with their thoughts, and uh, with their actions. And uh, we'll see that in its proper place. But you'll notice in verse 13, they begin uh, to push back against Jesus by saying, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And last week I pointed out to you, what are they doing? They're throwing the law at him. They're throwing the law at him. And which is, think about this. They're throwing the law at the lawgiver. You're bearing testimony about yourself. Your testimony is not true. They're taking an Old Testament um, law, if you will, that a charge shall not be um, taken against somebody without two or three credible witnesses. They're taking that principle. They're throwing it at Jesus. <clears throat> and how does Jesus answer? Verse 14. Jesus says, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I come from. And you remember that was one of the first arguments that Jesus is using. I know where I come from. Now, what is Jesus doing there? He's pointing back to the beginning of God's, John's gospel. He's pointing back to what the reader already knows and understands, because we come across the words, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And who is the Word? Jesus is the Word. He became flesh and dwelt among us. And the, the disciples are saying, we've seen his glory. So Jesus is saying, listen, it's another claim to deity. Even if I make testimony about myself, it's still true because I know where I came from. I came out of eternity where I was at the Father's side for all eternity. 
What in the world would you use to validate his witness? What? It's the highest witness there is. You see, God's word is the supreme witness that there is. There is no other witness to validate God's word. If there were, it would be greater than God. You would have to find something greater than God. Uh, we're going to see more about that in the text here this morning. But Jesus offers this second argument. He says, I, not only do I know where I come from, I know where I'm going. And um, here we have a theme that's being, being laced. And remember, I've told you John's gospel, you've got all these themes that surface and submerge, surface and submerge. And uh, you'll see these uh, themes. And here Jesus is pointing to the cross, isn't he? I know where I come from. I know where I'm going. I know what my assignment is. I know who sent me. He says, you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. That tricky little passage I showed last week, it's an ellipsis. When Jesus says, I, uh, you judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. I've had people tell me, Jesus doesn't judge anyone. There it is, right there in verse 15. But what they don't understand, it's an ellipsis. Jesus doesn't judge anyone according to the flesh. You judge according to the flesh. I don't judge anyone according to the flesh. Is how we're to understand that passage. Of course, Jesus makes judgments. He's making a judgment when he says you judge according to the flesh. That's a judgment statement. Then it's verse 16, even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge. This is the, the third argument where he's pointing to union. The commentaries often point to this. He's showing his union with the Father. Jesus is in union with the Father. We've seen this over and over again as we've been studying John's gospel, especially in chapter 5 where Jesus is in this perfect union with the Father, and he's looking to the Father always. And what does he say? He says the words the Father gives him. He's in complete and perfect concert with the Father in everything that he does. So he's pointing to his uni unity with the Father. And then lastly, he says, verse 17, in your law. Notice it's your law. In your law. Whose law really is it? It's, it's his law. But why does he say your law? Because it's this law that they're throwing at him. Oh, and that little law of yours you're throwing at me. That should have been room. That should have been room for pause right there, shouldn't it? And we're going to see more of that here in a few minutes too. Oh, in your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. Well, I'm the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. Okay, you want a witness? The Father's my witness. How's that for a witness? Here, it's certain. It's, it's completely certain. What do they say to them? They say in verse 19, where's your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor, your nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And we're told that he spoke these words in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. But then in verse 21, he says, I'm going away. You'll seek me. You will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So they're confused, verse 22. Will he kill himself? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. And then he says something, and we want to hold on to this, because this is a theme that's going to, Jesus is going to flesh this theme out a little bit further later in the chapter. He says, you're from below. I'm from above. Hold on to that, because he's going to flesh that out a little bit further. You're of this world. I'm not of this world. I told you you would die in your sin, verse 24. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say to you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I've heard from him. 
They didn't understand he was speaking to them about the Father. Verse 28, which would have been our, uh, well, no, I didn't choose that. I started to choose as a scripture memory verse, and I changed my mind. Actually, the scripture memory verses really would have been verses 31 and 32, but we'll get to that in a moment. But there Jesus points to his cross again. See how these themes are interlaced? They, 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 they come up, and then they go, down, they, they go down. Jesus says, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority but speak just as the Father taught me. He's pointing to the cross again. You know, when he says, I know where I'm going, he, he knows he's going to the cross. And the cross is going to be the doorway where he returns to glory with the Father. Jesus tells the thief on the cross, the thief that repents and says, remember me when you enter into your kingdom, he tells him what? Today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus, in terms of his soul, goes immediately with the Father. And he takes that thief with him. Now, this brings us to our text. And if you look at verse 30, we're told that as he was saying these things, many believed in him. We've seen this before, haven't we? And we're starting to see a pattern, aren't we? Many believed in him. When you read the gospel for the first time, you think, okay, he's getting, more and more disciples are being gathered. More and more people are being gathered. But as we start reading it a little closer, what do we discover? Well, look at verse 31. Jesus said to the Jews who what? Who had believed in him. Okay, to this company of people who had believed in him. Jesus is now speaking, and he says, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. And there we get one of the fundamental marks of what it means to be a true believer. And this is the idea of abiding in his word. The, the Greek word there is a cognate of the same word that Jesus uses in John 15 when he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. You know, he who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. It's that same word. It's a cognate of that same word. And what does it mean to abide in his word? I, I'll tell you, the Old Testament provides us with a great commentary on that. And it's in Psalm 119, the longest psalm we have in the Psalter, where this, the psalmist over and over again is praising the Lord for his law. He's praising the Lord for his word. Uh, you read through that psalm, you'll see over and over and over again, everything that he says could be summed up with, oh, how I love your law, or oh, how I love thy law. This idea of treasuring Christ's word, the idea of having fellowship with the word, the idea of uh, storing the word up in my heart or up in your heart. The psalmist says that, doesn't I have stored your law in my heart that I might not sin against you? This idea of storing it up, this idea of memorizing it, this idea of meditating on it, day and night, in fact, the psalter begins that way, doesn't it? Blessed is the man uh, who meditates on God's law. He meditates day and night. It's this idea of treasuring, this idea of taking the word. But let's be careful. Because you can fall in love with the word and not be in love with the giver of the word. Do you think that's possible to do? Of course it's possible to do, and it actually happens. Where we can be in love with the word. What's not to love about the word? I mean, you look at the sum of the parts and the whole and the total of it, you look at all of these things. What's not to love? This is a magnificent book. It, it teaches ex extraordinary things. It's possible to love the Word and not love the one 
who's given the word. And the whole idea here, abiding in Jesus' word, would have connected with it, abiding in loving and treasuring and aligning one's heart and life with the word because it is his word. That's what we do with people we love, isn't it? What they say to us matters, doesn't it? In fact, one good way for us to hurt each other's feelings, and we do this from time to time, is we ignore the ones we love. And it hurts the feelings of the ones we love, doesn't it? And it's because of the love that's between. I mean, it's, 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 it's because of that love relationship that's between. You know that something's wrong if you're not listening to me. You're not listening to me. You know, we'll sometimes say to each other, that's wrong. Why is it wrong? Because we love each other. Because we love each other, you should be hanging on every word that I speak. And the same thing's going on here. It's the same thing that's going on here. Jesus is speaking, and he says, listen, you guys believe in me? Okay, if you're really my disciples, if you abide in my word, then you're truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, there's a really important principle going on here, one we do very well to hang on to, a really important principle. And um, it... it it, we could go a couple different directions with it. Let me see if I can just do it all kind of quickly because you know, we could spend a lot of time on it. And it's been a while, but sometimes you'll hear me use this fancy word, ep- epistemology. You've heard me use that word before, right? And some of you are kind of into philosophy and stuff. You know all about that, don't you? What is epistemology? It's a study of how we know what we know to be true. And if you do a survey of the philosophers, and I'm not a philosopher, philosophy major. I, I've never really thought, there's been some great preachers who were philosophy majors, but generally speaking, I don't know that they make the best preachers and theologians because a lot of times they have a tendency to dwell in these philosophical matters instead of doing exegesis of God's word. If you didn't get all that, don't worry about it. Um, but um, how do we know what we know to be true? You know, people will say to you, well, that's your opinion. Actually, no, it's not. If we're talking about biblical matters, actually, you're wrong. It's not my opinion. It's, 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 it's what's written right here. I mean, say what you want about it, but it's not my opinion. This isn't my opinion that I'm sharing with you here this morning. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, listen, if you're going to abide my word, then you're going to know the truth. He who is truth is showing us how we can know truth. But the problem with the people that are listening to him is they have their system that they cherish so much. They have developed a system, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of biblical truth to their system, but they're in love with their system. They're not in love with Jesus. They're in love with their system, and they're taking... And they're, they're taking their system and they're laying their system over the scriptures and they're reading the scriptures through the lens of their system. And they're getting all twisted up. And that still happens today. Let me give you an example. I can be in love with covenant theology to such a degree that I love covenant theology. And I'm always going on about covenant theology, and everything's about covenant theology, and it's all about covenant theology, and all you ever hear about is covenant theology, because I love covenant theology. If that's the case, you're not going to be hearing a lot about Jesus. You're going to hear a lot about famous um, covenant theologians, because they're going to be my 
heroes. That's who you're going to hear about. Um, you're going to hear about passages that speak to covenant theology. You're going to hear about the genius of covenant theology. Along the way, you're going to be here. This is where it's so subtle. This is where it's, this is where it gets so tricky. It's because all along the way, you're going to, you're, you're going to, you're going to be hearing someone who seems to be really committed to the truth, really committed to the scriptures. But at the end of the day, he's not in love with Jesus. And is falling just as short of coming home as a pagan in the alley who has just fallen down because uh, uh, he finished his bottle. Just as lost. Jesus says, if you are my believers, if you really are truly my disciples, then you're going to abide in my word. And there's going to be an effect in doing that. The effect in doing that is you're going to know the truth. So you see, for us, there's no alternative. How do we determine truth and falsehood? We do it through his word. If we're truly a disciple of Jesus, then what comes first and foremost is his word. You know, it is or it isn't. But notice what happens is we arrive at the truth as we do this because Jesus says, and you will know the truth. And he goes on to say, and the truth will set you free. You'll actually have freedom. Freedom from what? Well, for starters, freedom from that system. You know, if I'm caught up in love for reformed theology or love for whatever, um, and I come and finally come to meet the Lawgiver, I come to meet the Holy One of Israel, I come to meet Jesus, and I fall in love with Jesus, then I'm set free from the system that I used to love. Um, the system that I turned into an idol, if you will. Um, now, if you look at verse 33, they answer him, and they say, we're offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? I can remember thinking for a long time when I read this verse, kind of giggling and laughing and thinking, you know, um, the northern kingdom was enslaved to Assyria for a period of time. Then they all were enslaved to Babylon. Then they went to be enslaved to Medo-Persia. Then they're currently enslaved to Rome, to the Roman authorities. And yet they're saying they've never been a slave to anyone. But, um, and we can, we can kind of smile and laugh at that, but I don't think that's what's in view here at all, actually. Why? Because there's three things that are really important. Context, context, and what's the third one? Context. In Spanish, it's el contexto. So in the, in the jockey's room, I'd be going, contexto, contexto, contexto. And they're like, and I got it right. They're like, see, 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 see. You know, it's wonderful. It's actually really, really fun, you know. Um, so I'm starting to memorize some of the scriptures in the Spanish. Uh, but at any rate, sorry for that digression. I couldn't uh, really help myself. But notice... Um, the slavery is explicitly stated by Jesus in verse 35 or 34. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, one, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. That's the slavery Jesus is talking about, is that slavery to sin. Now, let's remind ourselves who Jesus is speaking to. Is he speaking to, um, is he speaking to Gentiles out in the northern part of the Holy Land, out in the middle of nowhere? No. Where's Jesus at? Um, Jesus is in the temple. What's that mean? Well, he's in the church speaking to church folk. And he's suggesting that they're all enslaved to sin because they're in love with their system instead of him. They want to kill him. That's what they want to do. 
And that's what they're going to do in six months. They're going to kill him. He's speaking to church folk. He's speaking to people that are gathered. They're in church is where they're at. And he says, I say, everyone who commits to sin is a slave to sin. Sin is enslaving. When we commit sin, we become enslaved to it. And by our enslaving to it, we continue to do it. And we're born this way. And we have to be set free from it. That is the freedom that Jesus is talking about ultimately is this freedom of being set free from the dominion of Satan, dominion of the world, dominion of the flesh, dominion of sin, however you want to put it. You can put it in all those categories because the Bible explains it in all those categories. And Jesus says here in verse 35, the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now, what's that all about? The slave does not remain in the house forever. The, slave are the, the slaves are the people he's talking to. They're the ones enslaved to the, uh, to the devil. They're enslaved to the flesh. They're enslaved to sin. They're under the dominion uh, of the world, if you will. And the house would be the, 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 the household of God, if you will, would be the, the, uh, the faithful, uh, the kingdom of God, we could say loosely, um, we say that loosely. Um, so it would be, the, it would be the, the faithful, if you will. Abraham's being brought into this, who is the father of the faithful. So this would be the faithful. And the son, who is the son? The son is Jesus. The son is Jesus. And what he is saying is the slave does not remain in the house forever. The slaves are currently in the house. They're in the temple. They're gathered. And Jesus is saying, this isn't going to happen. This is just isn't going to be tolerated forever. The slave doesn't remain in the house forever. But the son remains forever. And then Jesus says, if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. If the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Now, notice how they respond in verse 37. They say, um, all right, Jesus, before we get to their response, notice verse 37. He says, I know your offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. See this theme being developed? I'm from above, you're from below. I'm above, you're below. Your father, my father. He's beginning to flesh that out. And he's speaking to church folk. He's speaking to leaders in the church. He says, I know you're physically, biologically related to Abraham, yet you seek to kill me. Because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father. You don't have, and, and you do what you've heard from your father. And they answered him, verse 39, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who's told you the truth that I've heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said, if God were your father... You would love me, for I came from God, and I'm here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to, bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks, he lies. Out of his own character, he tells these lies. He's a liar and the father of lies. Which you, let's think about it. Think about Genesis 3, what does Satan come and do? He deceives Eve, tempts Adam, and he's the culprit in the fall of humanity, isn't he? Out of his character, he spreads these lies. 
and he tempts. And what happens? All of the bloodshed, all of the tears. I've been praying for this family, you know, the family for little Sila, you know. I mean, all these tears and stuff that are being shed right now and all of this heartache, you know. Think of the Kingsburys, you know, lost their 14-year-old daughter. Um, all, all of this, all of this um, ultimately has its, its, its origins back in the fall. It was ultimately led by the murderer, if you will, right? And Jesus is aligning these people up with him. And he's saying, this is your father. If God was your father, you wouldn't be seeking to kill me. Let's think about that for a minute. Who is more precious to the father than Jesus? Yet they seek to kill him. They're going to succeed because Jesus will lay his life down in about six months. Notice verse 45. He says, I tell you the truth, yet you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? I tell you the truth. Why do you believe me? Whoever is of God hears the word of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. And the Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you have a, it's your Samaritan and have a demon? Look at the insults that our Lord bears. They're calling him a demon. They say he's having a, you have a demon. Now, this kind of thing happens when people don't have anything left because now they're just hurling insults in his person. And that's what people do when they don't have anything left. That's what the fallen human heart does when there's nothing left. Uh, they're empty. They don't have anything left. Notice how Jesus deals with that. I mean, to suggest that the Holy One of Israel has a demon. And calling him a Samaritan wouldn't have been a compliment in that culture. And all that's a story for another day. But in verse 49, Jesus answers and says, I don't have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I don't seek my own glory. There's one who seeks it, and he's the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And the Jews said, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? The prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus said, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. Can we stop right there and make some application? Because this is a wonderful application. And what Jesus is alluding towards here, we've already seen in chapter 5, verse 44. And I think it would be worth your while to turn there for a moment. Chapter 5, verse 44, where Jesus says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Now, what's he talking about? In our fallenness, in our sin, what people think of us and the praise of one another means everything to us, doesn't it? Now, of course, this is in varying degrees, depending on our constitution and our personality, but we worry about what people think. Some of us say, I don't worry about what anyone thinks. Okay, how often do you share the gospel if you don't worry about what everyone thinks? Hmm. Why don't we share the gospel? Because we worry about what everyone thinks. And Jesus says, how can you believe like that? Don't, don't labor, don't, don't labor for the glory that comes from one another. Labor for the glory that comes from the Father, that comes from God. And this is how Jesus and his human nature can endure these insults and endure all this without really largely being affected because he is not invested in the praise of people. 
He's all about the glory that he receives from the Father. I tell you, as you grow in that, as you grow in that, you will become more bold around people. Not so that you can run around and be like some kind of dreadful irritant with people and just irritate people. That's not biblical. But you're going to care less and less what they think, which is going to set you free actually to share the gospel. It's going to set you free to actually share the things of Jesus. Why? Because you wake up in the morning and you've got one goal, and that's to please the Father. You know, Jesus is leading this in that. Jesus says, I don't, verse 50, I don't seek my own glory. There's one who seeks it, and he's the judge. He's speaking of the Father. Now, he says in verse 52, well, the Jews say to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, the prophets died. And you say, if, you keep my, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets who died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus said, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he's our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do not know him, or but I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. We could spend a lot of time on verse 56. <laughs> but let's think. <clears throat> my apologies. Let's think about this for a moment. Um, a couple of the times in the life and work of Abraham, in the life and ministry of Abraham, uh, Abraham was told that in him all of the nations of the world would be blessed, wasn't he? He was told that. And uh, furthermore, we could think of Genesis 22. I'll just give you two examples. Genesis 22, where, where um, um, Abraham goes up on the mountain to do what? He's told to sacrifice his son, Isaac, right? And uh, so Abraham looked forward uh, to uh, the Messiah. He looked forward to this day. And Jesus is telling them, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham. And here we come to our other inclusio. We made it. And notice what Jesus says, truly, truly, verse 58, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, I'm not suggesting that the temple shook when he said that, but I really wonder what it sounded like when he said that. When he looked at them and said, before Abraham was, I am. You see, that's the other inclusio. He started out saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. You're going to know the truth. You're not going to be in darkness. You're going to know the truth. The truth is going to set you free. Before Abraham was, I am. Now, I want to conclude with one last verse, which is so easy to miss, but yet it is so profound, and that's verse 59. I think we think about the fact that they picked up stones to throw at him. We get that. But then the second part of it we forget about, the part where Jesus hid himself. But more specifically, the part where he went out of the temple. What are we to get out of that? 
The great I am came to the temple today. The great I am came to church today. And the church who professed to believe in him rejected him. And he departed. Does that make sense? What an extraordinary text of Scripture, isn't it? In conclusion, let us ask ourselves just a couple of questions. I won't detain you. Are we abiding in his word? Are we truly abiding in the word? In other words, are we... Are we on about the Word of God because it's His Word? Are we on about the Word of God because the lover of our souls has spoke this Word? Are we on about the Word of God because we want to please Him? Are we on about the Word of God? Are we aligning our lives with the Word of God? Is that what we're doing? We need to ask ourselves that question uh, because that's one of the main markers here. Are we in love with a system? Today's no different than than um, 2,000 years ago in the temple in this respect, that there's a lot of people that are in love with a system. And it isn't one particular um, um, denomination or faith base that they all all can have their systems, every one of them, and you can be in love with the system instead of love with Jesus. Does that make sense? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you, Father, that you've given us your word and you've given us faith, oh, Father, and I pray, Lord, you will increase our faith this morning, Lord, that we would hang on your word. Help us to hang on your word, oh, Father. And, oh, Lord, give to us, oh, Father, the ability to abide in your word and to abide in it always, that, Father, we would be like the psalmist in Psalm 119. Oh, how we love the word of Christ. Oh, how we love it. And we have stored it up in our hearts. And then when we hear that, that he is the light of the world, we'll truly be set free by that. Oh, Father, cause the light of Jesus Christ to shine in our hearts. That, oh, Father, we would be set free from the dominion of sin. We'd be set free from the dominion of the evil one. We'd be set free from the flesh in this world and all of the things attended to that, that we would be free, truly free, free not to do whatever we want, but free to come and follow you and free to live lives that are pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.